Hello, ladies, gentlemen, women, children, siblings, animals, and everything in between. Welcome to One Day Closer to Dead. I am Dave Beaudry. And I'm Jason Bailey. And Vanilla Godzilla, how are you doing on this fine week? We're at the end of April. Where the fuck is the year going? I don't know, my friend, but uh, I'd really like it to keep going a little bit faster because maybe uh, in, in 2022, you know, things will get somewhat normal without masks and people being vaccinated and people going back to work and shit like that. So I don't know. It's it's it. I think 2021's uh, not as much yet a throwaway year as 2020. Uh, that was a horrific uh, year, but uh, yeah, it, it is what it is. I've figured out that the first part of every year goes really quick, it is, or at least it seems that way to me. Then when it hits summertime, everything starts to slow the fuck down a little bit. It just seems like the the year doesn't really get started for me until June. So hopefully that's that's what's going to happen. Well, remember the don't be wishing too hard for 2022 because remember the name of our podcast, sir. We could both be dead by 2022. You know what? I've been reading a lot about that block universe. You know, that Einstein said everything's already done. The past, the present, and the future all live together and everything that has been will be. And so to me, I just look at it like, yeah, and what? And what, bitch? It is what it is, man. If we're living in a computer simulation, which is another theory, yes, would, then, is. Would, would, would Einstein's theory then still apply to that? Or would that be separate outside of the simulation with which we are living in? Well, the deal is I love cosmology. And I'm telling you that there are a lot of people that disagree. You like haircuts? I do. And I also like applying my own makeup. I, I watch those tutorials and I really try to get the mascara just perfect. You know, I use the YouTube. YouTube's the amazing. Oh, it's that, amazing. It? I look beautiful at the end of it. But the, the thing is that uh, I really like that stuff. I like... Um, you know, quantum physics and shit. And a lot of people don't agree with Mr. Albert Einstein on this. And uh, that's fine. But it's interesting to think like, uh, do you have free will? Are you really making decisions? Or has the whole fucking thing already been decided for you? Uh, Interesting uh, little subject matter there. But uh, at any rate, you know, it is what it is, brother. Well, such also goes the the status and subject of our show. Do we have any feedback that we need to address, Mr. Bailey, that would possibly determine the future trajectory of this episode? I don't know. And I did this... that in the most Shatner way possible. <laughs> I can do a little bit of Shatner later on in the show, actually. But uh, hey, I just want to let you guys know, like, uh, I don't. I think the trajectory of the show is actually the trajectory of Jerry Lewis because we uh, are definitely internationally enjoyed. I did have a little statistical feedback for you, especially Dave, but all the dozens out there. Um, for the first time ever this last week, our number one city in the world of listenership is outside of the United States of America. And this is the first time in our grand history this has ever fucking happened. Uh, would you like to take a shot at what city in this world has listened to us more than anybody else this last week? I'll go with either Perry or Dublin because those seem to be recurring. I'll go Dublin just, to, right. uh, just to put a, a dart in the board. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, it is Paris. Paris, France has now... I knew it, our, Paris. There I was, was right exactly what you said the first time. Uh, Paris, France is our number one most uh, uh, largest city with our most listenership as of last week. Uh, so I just think that's fantastic. And it's uh, very interesting because 
while Paris and Dublin have always been kind of back and forth competing against the cities that of people that listen to us the most, we've always, you know, it's always been a city here in the United States that have, that have had top marks. It's always been, you know, Kansas City, Wichita, L.A., Louisville, Lexington, Austin, you know, stuff like that. And um, cities like that. And this is the first time ever that definitively um, it is very obvious that uh, Paris, France really fucking likes being one day closer to dead. So thank you very much, Paris. We appreciate it. And it's very, very strange to me that uh, we are now listened to more in your city than in Los Angeles, California. So very, very strange. But I want to also give a shout out to our top seven cities out there for the last week. And that's Paris, France's first, Kansas City, Missouri, second, Los Angeles, California, third, Cleveland, Ohio's fourth, Louisville, Kentucky, fifth. Uh, and we got Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, number six, and Wichita, Kansas, seven. So thank you very much, guys. All of our wonderful dozens and dozens and dozens out there that listen to us. We really appreciate having your ears on this fucking show. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. What do you think about that, Dave? Well, I was I was going to ask if it was because our numbers had gone up in old Perry or if we have just been abandoned and numbers went to shit stateside because either one of those are a possibility. Well, we've the last couple of weeks, we never ranked higher in overall podcasting in, in the nation. So, I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying that for a fact that whatever that we're peddling, Paris is buying. So thank you very much. We, we do appreciate uh, that. It's nice to know it's not just America saying, fuck you, Dave and Jason. We don't want to listen to you anymore. <laughs> I got enough of that in my own life, goddammit. I don't you know, need that from the airwaves. Maybe they're just interested in how fucked up Americans are. I, I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, and- well, Jason, I would say if there was anybody that was emblematic of the United States as a nation, it would be you and me as individuals. I think so. <laughs> No, I kind of I would think, not insult ourselves in such a dr- is, I mean, I got low self-esteem at times, but I wouldn't put it in well, that we, in that fucking dire No, but I mean as far as the intelligent elitism, I'm definitely there. And what? you yeah, re-listen I'm to re-listen there. to our Q episode, man. And then, you know, you got you which is Social Crusader number one, Captain America. But uh, the thing is, I also wanted to say a really big shout out uh, to Stina Meyer. Stina Meyer's out there. Forgive me, Stina Myers. And the reason I wanted to bring this up is because I just had some Reiki energy work done to get all my chakras and energy and everything all put back together again. And I just wanted to, we have of the dozens and dozens and dozens of listeners out there. We have this group, Dave, I call the Expendables. I call them the Expendables because they're males, they're past their prime, but they're still badasses, but we're all completely fucked up inside the head because of what life has handed us, okay? And for all you guys out there that are macho men, ooh, yeah, all of you macho men out there who maybe don't have anyone to talk to or maybe are just scared to open up to somebody that's close to you or whatever, and you just need to get some shit off your chest, get some breathing work going, on getting some uh, relaxation and some recentering and rejuvenation going on you really should reach out to Stina Myers uh, who did my my Reiki session uh, and I'm telling you it's cheaper than a therapist it's better than a therapist you don't have to get your damn insurance involved and you can reach her at stinamyers.com that's s-t-i-n-a m-e-i-e-r 
S.com, Stenemeyers.com, Reiki master. And for me, it's like going to having a therapy session and then some relaxation, breathing work all in one. You just simply, she's worth every goddamn dime. And I mean, it's just something I want to say to all you macho men out there and you alpha males that listen to us because Dave, I don't know if you know this or not. 70% of our audience is male, and a lot of them are some badass motherfuckers out there. And a lot of times those badass motherfuckers feel they ain't got no one to talk to. And they, they're fucked up in the head, or they're having anxiety or depression, like strikes me about ooh, every other week, and they need someone to go to. And if you don't want to go to a therapist, like you don't want to get your damn insurance involved and all the bullshit, and you don't have, I mean, sometimes you're even married or you got a best friend, but you don't want to open up like that. Believe me, Stina Myers is there for you. So I just want to say that this is not a read, by the way. This is a this is coming directly from someone. This is a platinum member of our dozens who deserves a looking into for all of you. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be shy. Look it up. I guarantee you she's going to take good care of you. But uh, she helped me. As you guys, I actually just dropped it, Dave, a couple weeks ago. I said, hey, I've been going through some depression. I said one fucking sentence. And all the dozens just lit the fuck up and contacted me saying, what, what's going on? Are you okay? We all care about each other out there and we have a great community. So please, please look her up. She takes care of people from all over the world. And that is my, my feedback and my shout outs. But Dave, I got one more little thing I wanted to bring up. Okay. One, one quick question. Yeah, of course. Confir confirming just for those that are not familiar, she works remotely, correct? She works remotely and she works in person. And that's an important distinction. Yeah, just for those that absolutely. Are she can anywhere all over the world. And it, let me tell you something. You want to throw out some Shatner. Let me throw out some Star Trek three Shatner. You don't have to believe. You don't have to believe in Reiki or energy or any of that to get the benefits of, of having a Reiki master help you. I can guarantee you, I do believe, okay? But you don't have to. I, it's just something I guarantee you, it, you know, I'll eat my fucking hat. If you, if you don't walk away and go, that was, that was worth it. That helped me. I am back in some kind of, you know, calm relaxation, get rid of my depression. So anyway, thank you very much, Stina Myers. I certainly appreciate everything you do for not just me, but for this program, for this podcast. Thank you so much. And then lastly, Dave, I want to say one thing and we can move on some feedback from last week's show about, Hey, you know, fight, flight, or fuck it. Uh, a lot of people out there, not a lot, but most of the comments we got uh, chose fuck it. Uh, some of our, <laughs> so a lot of our listeners out there uh, chimed in and said, you know, Dave hit it, uh, the, 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 the nail right on the head of we don't want to get fucking sued. Okay. That's just the way it is. I'm going to give two quick things. One person said, uh, contacted us and said, listen, Jason, you are confident in your abilities. You've been in these situations before. So, you know, ex you have a general idea how this video game is going to end up because you've got the, the competency to, to deal with another human in a physical capacity. Most of us don't. So, which is also why training is important, but continue. Right. And it was sort of like, they didn't say, Hey, don't, you know, don't self-defense shame us, basically, but that's, that's sort of how it came <laughs> off, man. It's like, listen, there's only a few of us that can actually do these kind of things, so it is what it is. Uh, we are afraid that we're going to get shot, sued, or, or hurt in some capacity because we can't deal with another human being. Okay. And then another person said, I was an ex-bouncer. 
uh, I am an ex-bouncer, forgive me. And I had bounced before too. David worked security and he said, listen, he goes, I had to get out finally because I saw an incident where a man uh, came, was kicked out of the bar uh, in downtown Lexington. He, what, he went after one of my fellow bouncers with a knife, missed him at the first thrust, uh, said bouncer knocked him out, cold cocked him, one hit to the face, put him down, uh, shattered his jaw. Guy got lawyer, guy sued bar, uh, busser or a busser, uh, bouncer. And that was it. It was, he, he goes, that was it. That's what convinced me. This is fucking bullshit where you can't even defend yourself without being sued. The, the bouncer didn't have a weapon on him other than his fists. And the guy that was going after him with a fucking knife actually won the lawsuit. So he goes, our society has educated us not to intervene in physical altercations, period. Oh, I definitely think it's a societal issue and not, I think it, it, and I don't think we were doing this, but I think it overly simplifies it to, to put it down to, um, you know, lack of personal responsibility or accountability. I absolutely think there's a societal issue there. I'll tell one very quick story and then we can move on. Um, years ago, there was, uh, I saw a bouncer almost lose an eye. Um, there was a dude, <laughs> see if you can follow this, Jason, this gets a little complicated. I will do my best. There was a guy who earlier in the week, unrelated to this incident had been shot seven times. So he had been hospitalized. I believe it was a gang shooting. He had been hospitalized that day. He had been released from the hospital, went to the club with his people to celebrate, snuck a blade into the facility got into it with a bouncer and then sliced the bouncer right across the face of the knife. So, uh, all hell broke loose a good 30. I want to say like, dude, it was like a fucking Royal rumble. There were like 30 goddamn people that were just like throwing hands and all sorts of shit. And, uh, we had two off duty PDs that were hired specifically for this type of thing that refused to respond to it. They told me flat out, quote unquote, fuck you. I'm not going over there. Um, so I went, and when I got there, there was, I mean, there's blood everywhere. There's blood on the wall. There's blood on the ceiling. There's blood on the floor. There's people, you know, I see this dude with bubble holes in him. I thought originally, I thought he was the victim that he had been shot in this incident. Turned out, no, he was the aggressor and he had been shot previously and his wounds. had just reopened during the course of this. Um, so he had snuck in. I, I saw the blade myself it was about a six inch blade. And I'm not sure what the inciting incident was. Uh, but he slashed uh, this one bouncer right across, right above the eye. Dude needed over 200 stitches, both internally and externally. So when I got there, the bouncers were having trouble containing it. I still had people kind of, you know, coming. And then the cops were refusing to cross the bridge to come over because there's a bridge you got to cross over to to get there. Um, so, you know, this isn't a tooting own horn thing, but it's like I got to try to do something here because this is going south really quickly. So one guy had another one down and was like, you know, pounding his face in. So I, I hooked him as he was bringing his arm down. I hooked him in a half from behind and then spun my leg around and then used that momentum to lift him up off the dude and slammed him face first into the wall with enough force that it dropped him down to his knees. Then the guy that he was beating up had 
struggled up and tried to charge at me, I think to get at the other dude, but that could have gone either way. So then there was one of the few times in, in like quote unquote real life conflict that I used a sidekick right as he was running in. I, cause I still had this dude pinned against the wall. So my arms were tied up. So I shot my leg out and caught him right in the solar plexus and knocked him down. Cause he, he just went knocked back on his ass. And, um, that ruckus, because I also did it as loud as possible. Like I was yell, I was like, you know, yelled as I did it, because that kind of gravitated everybody's attention. Like people in the fight suddenly looked over, like, what the fuck had just happened? And that kind of momentarily diversion kind of assisted the bouncers in in the the extra time that they needed to where we were able to get control of the thing. Then my guys, you know, I had three or four of my guys that ended up showing up, and they they came across, and then you know we were able to to clean it all up but it was it was a fucking mess and i i you know it still comes into my mind once in a while it was the bloodiest damn thing i'd ever i'd ever seen outside of one time i'd seen a guy get his arm crushed he had like five compound fractures uh, and was spurting all over the place like that's a totally separate thing Th- those two things t- are tied for kind of the bloodiest things that i've ever i've ever actually seen with my own uh with 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 my own uh two eyes and uh yeah Life's fun, man. Well, the thing is, I <laughs> yeah, we could go back into war stories all day long. The thing is, that, that could be another episode. That's a whole other episode. But basically, you guys out there that that did respond to it, there, you know, there was a lot of, hey, I'm glad that you can do this, or Dave could do this, or maybe one percent out there could do that, five percent could do it. But we've all been educated not to fucking do this even and i mean what was sad to me is even when women children are involved witnessing or are actually being victimized and i'm not so i'm not going to shame you guys anymore uh but to me it was just very odd that just know this that i don't know anybody that's a good guy out there that wants to be involved in a fucking fight i don't uh but it's gonna come life is too long and there's too much bullshit around you it's gonna happen and you know you i guess you could sit there and just take it i i don't know i don't know but how i look at it is even let's say this is my and this is how fucking stupid i am dave let's pretend i get shot or stabbed or sued at the time i'm doing what i'm doing it's in a primal switch that's like this needs done Period. What happens after this happens after this. But apparently, you know, the American society has really instructed its people, if shit pops off, sit the fuck down and don't do much of anything. There'll be dire consequences for you, which to me, it, it just doesn't work for me. Uh, obviously, it hasn't worked for me. So that's where well, I'll instead of instead of fight, flight or fuck it, it's stuck, shot or sued. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much and i it's worked Mo, our, at least a lot of our listeners are like that i'm just not going to get any of these so i care more about my self-preservation and not getting shot stuck or sued than helping a woman out that's being beaten the fuck out of in front of my bank so i'll shut the door well that's fucking great I, okay i mean uh there's a mentality there's and i don't mean this in regards to what you just stated this will make sense in a moment but it takes a little bit of contextual setup and then we'll move on but uh like for example the the situation on the where i'd cross the bridge and afterwards those those two cops that were refusing to go over they were like you're dumb you're gonna get killed blah, blah. i'm like i did what you fucking should have been doing you asshole like that we <laughs> we had words um and again i'm in a privileged position where i was able to say that and not worry that they were going to shoot me but um <clears throat> you know you basically 
<clears throat> sorry, you have to assume that you're not going to come out on the other end of this. Right, exactly. And not worry about anything. After That's that. right. Yeah. Um, and that is that is not a thing that you can teach. No. That is not a thing that can be trained. Unfortunately, in my case, that comes from um, just a really kind of ugly dark place that I remember that I can therefore, in moments of conflict, put myself back into where it's like, okay, I'm just going to assume that this is that there's nothing on the other side of this. So I better might as well make the most out of the next two minutes. Absolutely. Dave, I'm telling you, uh, that's pretty much some of the feedback was, you know, you have a switch internally in you that does what others can't and, um, yay for you. And you have it too, Dave. And I've known a few people, but most people don't. And I'm, and I, I know it sounds shitty, but I just sit there and go, it is something in your head that you're like, I might get really hurt here bad, but I can put that in a compartment somewhere to get this done to get what needs to be done done that no one else is doing and i know that sound it's to me it's primitive it's just something primal that happens where you're like there's some and i know in our fucking toxic male get rid of this quality society it is there's something in certain people and women too where you can just go fuck it i'm willing to get hurt to take care of the problem right now and it is obviously a quality that's going away. So if that's, well, and, and I believe the, that <clears throat> there's the inverse of that too, though. You also have the, the real ugly people that kind of get off on the, the like, for lack of better, like the violence or the domination of another person or whatever. So they seek out that kind of thrill and that's where you end up a lot of violent crime or, or, you know, the types of hate crimes that you see or whatever. And that's unfortunately, that seems to be in some cases on the rise Whereas people that are necessarily, you know, out in society that are more willing to stand up to said things are possibly declining. Like you're seeing an increase in one and a possible decrease in the other. And well, I mean, that is a bit of a problem. Let's pro wrestling this fucking thing. Then let's just wrestle. Let's just fucking book it. If the, if the, if you're building up the hills and the heels are all around you and you've only got a couple faces left. I mean, to me, it's like those, those faces, they can't, they can't battle everyone. You can't just keep feeding the heels. I'm just letting people know out there, if you consider yourself a good person or hell, just one of the other cattle that's walking around, you know, buying shit. Uh, you, like I said, the title of our show was flight fight or fuck it. And there was a lot of people coming back with fuck it. And I am not lying. That's not making it up. They're, they're not, they're, they're, they're too fat to fucking flee. They, they don't, they, and they just get fucking paralyzed. They well, can't hold on to the part about not judging. The no, dog. I don't give a shit. That's you, man. You're the social crusader. I'm the dickhead. You're the one who said you weren't going to judge the... Uh... No, well, fuck it. The real Jace is coming out. I don't give a shit. And if you can't fight and you can't flee and you're going to fuck it, then you deserve to get your ass whipped. That's, that's my fucking take, folks. You deserve whatever the fuck's coming your way. And I'll tell you what, this isn't even about you. It is not about you. It's about fellow people that need your help in a physical altercation, okay? So you could take it or leave it. I really don't give a shit. I'm good. I know how I'm going to fucking react. But it's just amazing that most of you out there confirmed the fuck it. Most of you confirmed the fuck it. And it's just like, yeah, once again, I'm right. Once again, I'm right. Like, you're not even running. You're not taking your kids and running away from a situation. You're taking out your cell phones and fucking videotaping it. 
And to me, I'm sorry. It is, you know, this is my show as much as fucking Dave's. And to me, it's like, what? honestly. That's nonsense. Told, just edit, my friend. Here's the deal <laughs> is, as far as I'm concerned, you know, if you chose fuck it, good on you, brother. Good on you. You deserve an ass whipping. Next topic. <laughs> I'm just going to let that marinate for a let moment. Let it. I'm sick of being non-judgmental on this fucking ask, show. Ask Dave and Jason at Excite.com. Either take a martial art or learn to run or learn to protect your kids. Quit being pussies. I don't know what else to say. Well, let's talk a little bit about more more about uh, conflict, Jason, because we can't get enough of it in this show. No, the not at all. It was a dumpster fire. Did you know that? I sure as fuck did. Did you know why? Uh, because it truly goddamn is. And it, for the record, if this was a pro wrestling angle, I think it might be time for you and me to just fucking turn heel and call it a goddamn day. <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> you, you still like a tweener. I'm definitely heels. <laughs> But anyway, the world is a dumpster fire, Jason, because it truly fucking is. And speaking of conflict, let's talk about conflict in the COVID or modern era, whether it be Trump or COVID or politicization or whatever the fuck it is. People are not getting along. Very frequently, people that are related to one another. I will let you kind of just set the table a little bit on where you want to go with this, and then uh, then I will respond because it's something you wanted to talk about a while ago uh, yeah absolutely the, the 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 what i wanted to talk about was basically the dynamic of all of us as we get older and i know that um like the the average mean age here of people that listen to us around 43 that's what statistically it says okay so in your in your early 40s uh i really think there's a return to trying to figure out where you belong in the family and what the family, your immediate family that you came from, maybe not the one that you married, you know, your wife and your kids and the one you created, but the one that you came from and where you fit in it and your relationships in it and how they change. And, you know, for me, Dave, I can speak um, really kind of well about this because I came back from L.A., I came to Lexington to to kind of raise my child in an environment that wasn't L.A. I didn't want to raise him in L.A. because, A, I didn't want him to be in a... Um, I had the money to raise him in private schools in Oak Park, California, and it would have cost as much as a fucking college education, and he would have been surrounded by, in my opinion, a lot of fucking kids who don't know what goddamn life is about at all and certainly didn't have the experiences of my Midwest upbringing, uh, which I, I think is uh, what I wanted my child to have, okay? Or I could do, you know, um, public school and uh, just pretty much it'd be like an episode of Oz every day. So, Speaking about fight, flight, or fuck it. Yeah, exactly. It definitely would have been fighting and flighting. And uh, it, there would have been a lot of teaching James, uh, you know, a lot of stuff that I wouldn't want to teach him. I wanted him to have a good, good upbringing. And I was going to choose Lexington or Knoxville. Lexington sort of presented itself in a very uh, serendipitous, universal way. It was amazing. And my mom and my dad were out here. <clears throat> and I just thought, this is great. My, my sister... Uh, a lot of my sister, Katie lives up in Ohio, and then I got uh, Dee Dee here in, in Lexington as well, which is very strange. We couldn't have lined this up had we tried. We didn't come from the city, but we all wound up here. Very interesting. So um, having James being raised here, I wanted him 
wanted him to have a grandmother, you know, my mom, and have a wonderful relationship. But it also, I had lived in LA for 20 fucking years, man. I had not been around my family that I came from growing up my family for, I mean, decades. So it was relearning relationships that I had not been in on a day-to-day basis in forever. And I realized that I still looked at my sister, Didi, like she was five years old or something. I, I don't know why, but you know, 20 I'm years sure that went over well. Well, yeah. And she <laughs> had to educate me on, no, I'm a real fucking human being now. And, and here's, here's where I am in the world. And she went from being my little sister to someone who has kept me together mentally through a fucking divorce and through a very, very dark period of my life. And I swear, it's like the universe lined her up to come back into my life on a day-to-day basis to keep me from going fucking insane, which we all know I'm just, (laughs) I mean, really, just a pin drop away from anyway. And she is so, it's so different how that relationship changed. I mean, she's somebody that I could talk about anything with. I mean, just like I do you know, with you off the air or even on the podcast, I don't, I don't, there's nothing off limits with her. You know what I mean? I don't care. I'll tell her anything about me because she's become so close in that intimate way. And it's like, she was built, my Didi was built to be that sister that later on, I didn't get, I didn't have that relationship with her when she was little. I was the older brother taking care of her, you know, my little sweet sister. And she didn't, but now she's the one that's like, Tell me about this. Tell me about that. Keeping me fucking together. And my mom, who I was away from for so many years, we had, I think, a pretty tumultuous relationship, particularly through high school. And um, when I left, it was just like, you know, postcards, your telephone calls when you're in LA back to your family. It's like fucking postcards. It's just a fucking uh, snapshot. You're giving them a fake version of your life. They're giving you a fake version of their life. It's like before there was Facebook, there was these <laughs> monthly telephone calls and you, t- you, you put in the parts you want them to know about. You don't say shit about the stuff you don't want them to know about. And it was also me and my mom getting to learn each other again, too. And the change in that where I think when you're growing up, you look at your parents like they're oracles of wisdom. They brought you into this world. They must know every fucking thing there is to know. You see them writing checks. You see they're able to pay rent. You see they're able to get shit done. They buy you groceries. They tell you when to go to bed. So it's just innate in you to think like, well, they have all the answers. And then you get to an age where you're sitting with them and you're talking about certain subject matters and you just realize, my God, we're... There's, there's subjects they have no knowledge of, none that I have in my life done certain things where my experiences far outweigh their personal experiences in what I am now speaking about. I have become the subject matter expert in stuff my parents just simply don't know because they, always, they've not been exposed to this. I always say I don't know a lot in this life, but I know a lot about what little I know. There you go. Perfect. You know, wherever you are, there you go. It's, it's one of those things. I literally have, have had problems with my mom because, you know, she was still trying to put on this act of I'm your mom and I am in charge and I am the center of the universe. And none of that shit works with me now. Like I'm at an age now where you can go ahead and say that shit or pretend that shit, but that that makes no sense at all. And in and that, that, that scenario, Jason chooses fuck it. I choose fuck it. I choose, <laughs> no, I choose fight. 
<laughs> um, the, the thing is that I, you know, basically is relearning, like, do not talk to me like I'm a fucking child. Don't give me these, don't, don't, you know, placate me with these little nuggets of Confucianism that was never true. I've led my own life. I see the ugly parts. I see the great parts and, you know, talk to me like I'm a fucking human. You know, yeah, you're my mom and I'm always going to love you in a biological sense because I come from you. Okay. But don't fucking speak down to me. I am a full grown man now and I've gone through my own bullshit. Okay. Just like you in two different things. I've done stuff you could never do mom. And you've done shit that, that I could never do. Okay. Uh, specifically give birth to four kids. And the thing is that, you know, it was relearning boundaries on both of our parts. Like these are places you can go with me and these are fucking places you can't go. And, you know, we're still learning that even now, but this, this whole putting my mom on a pedestal and thinking she's the hardest working person I've ever known. And she's the most wise and she's the, that's gone. That's completely fucking gone. It doesn't mean I don't respect what she did. It it just means that I'm a full grown man now. And I see the world as a man who's been hurt, who's been betrayed, who's had success, who's had money who's fallen down, who's been depressed, you know, all this stuff. And to be, you know, it's a different relationship. I almost think it's as weird for the parents as it is for the kids because the parents have to go, oh, fuck, he's like a real fucking person. He's not this, this kid with no fucking knowledge of how shitty or how great the world can be. And it, it's been a relearning and it's a cliche, but there are some times where you're sitting across from your parents and you realize I am more the parent in this, this conversation. I feel like I am the parent, like giving advice on, okay, this is probably not what you should do because of A, B, C, X, Y, Z, whatever. And it's a cliche because people go, you know, the kids do become the parents. Eventually the kids do become the parents. You start making the big decisions. You start thinking about things. And I've already started thinking about my mom and dad's retirement, death, what we do afterwards, what we're going to do as we get older as a family. And I think that me and my two, my three sisters have definitely taken more of a role of being the center of the family, making decisions than my mom did. And it was a sort of a, a, it's a weird, it's almost a shift in power in our family where you're like, okay, you know, no, that don't work. Patton, you, you sit down, you need to retire. The army's in control now. And it was a very, I think, hard thing for my mom. And it's still a difficult thing for me because our relationship has completely changed where she'll say things to me. I'm like, that's fucking stupid. Like, it's fucking bullshit. Like, and, and when I was a kid, I was so intimidated by my mom, just terrified of her in certain cases uh, that I would just, whatever she said, I'd be like, that sounds good to me. You, you know, she'd say jump. I'd say how high and what color. I mean, I was terrified of her. And that te- when the terror is gone and you've seen... Yeah, you know, a, a woman in her 60s who's made mistakes and had successes and loved you and had problems with you, it becomes another human being. And that's a tough transition for a lot of families out there when you're redefining those dynamics. But this is what this conversation is about. It's about, think about you, the dozens out there, the listeners. How have your relationships changed with your mom, your dad, your sisters, your brothers, uh, the family as a whole, maybe cousins, nephews, whatever. And how do you feel about them, uh, honestly? And how has it changed over the last several decades? I'll throw it to you now, Dave. Uh, well, sometimes those, those redefinings either, A, don't 
necessarily happen for whatever reason, or they don't go well. Uh, you know, at, at, at this moment, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit uh, persona non grata in my family. I set one of those boundaries uh, a couple of days ago and I got hung up on. Uh, and, um, you know, and part of that is also I, I deal with uh, migraines. It's a medical condition. It's I'm the only one in my family that I'm aware of that deals with it. Um, I don't think that always gets understood. Um, so if someone is screaming into my ear, um, that is something that I am not able both mentally or physically, you know, to tolerate. Uh, so I need to set a line down and say, no, you cannot do this. And, um, you know, if, if that gets disregarded, that gets disregarded. There's not really a whole lot I can do about that. Um, extended family, I've never had any kind of, uh, like, you know, my, my mom's parents, uh, I loved them both dearly. My, my mom's mom died. I want to say when I was like 12 or 13, I believe she had a lot of health problems. She was diabetic and had like a heart condition and stuff. And I have tremendous respect for her and, and very good memories. You know, <laughs> even as a kid, we would butt heads sometimes. Uh, you know, I was a child and she was very, very kind of strong willed and, and very kind of stubborn, but was always very well intentioned in that. You know what I mean? Um, so the, you know, I've, I have very fond memories of her. My grandfather, her husband lived till he was 94. Um, he, he died the same year my mom died in the, in the, in the, in 20, in two, 20, in 2008, uh, my mom died. My grandfather died a month later. And then a month after that, a friend of mine got murdered. So that was the holidays are not what they used to be. Uh, so my, my grandfather actually outlived my mom. So he outlived his, you know, his, um, youngest daughter. Uh, cause my mom was a middle child of three and I never really, I, as a, as a kid, I would occasionally see my aunts and uncles. Uh, my dad was an only child, so there was no, you know, uh, no extended family from, from a, like a cousin standpoint, you know what I mean? Um, so, um, you know, I would occasionally see my, my mom's brother, very rarely. And then occasionally my mom's sister and her family. And, and I had two cousins on that side. One of them has since passed because he has cystic fibrosis. I really liked him. I have, I have good memories of him. And, and the other, I just haven't had contact with in years and years and years. Um, you know, um, my mom had personal problems. She died young as a result of that. Um, my aunt, I had had issues with my mom separate from all of that, but then tried to bring that to my doorstep. So I had to cut that relationship off completely. It was like, look, if you're going to try to, you know, talk shit about my mom, you got to do it to her. Don't do it to me. Like that's, and I set that boundary that got crossed and I have not allowed that contact since. Um, and then, um, you know, and I'm not going to address this too much in this, in this format. My sister and I generally just aren't close. We just have separate lives and are different people. And, you know, there's, there's not a lot more to say there. And, you know, I, I always certainly wish her well. Um, but I mean, you know, we, we, we don't talk regularly and I'm not putting that on her. I'm not putting that on anything. It just is what it is, you know? Um, so really that just leaves my dad. And then we, we are just two very different people at this, at this, um, point in time, um, you know, where I can respect disagreements, but I can also, there are certain things that I cannot abide by. And if something gets brought to my door, uh, speaking, um, symbolically, um, you know, if, if something that I feel is, is ugly or hate filled is being espoused, uh, aggressively in my ear, I'm not just going to blindly agree with that. That doesn't mean I'm going to look to start an argument. 
I'm not going to start a fight, you know. I, I will try as calmly as possible. Be like, well, I disagree with you, and here's why. Um, but if that devolves into a yelling match, I, I, I can't do that. I can't. I've I've fought too long against too many people for too long. I've had knives pulled on me. I've had a gun put to my head. I've had none of this from family members, to be clear. Uh, you know, I've the, you know, we'll talk about the Roddy documentary in a moment. But you know, like by the be, before I could legally drive, I had broken all the ribs on my left side. Had you know, nearly broken my back and had more concussions than I could even begin to talk about. And you know, then my family members don't know this shit. Like you know, because it's something I decided to not divulge to them. That's my choice. And that's fine. But I think as a result of that, I think I think at times it is easy for parents to possibly make assumptions on their grown kids that are either A, just more convenient for them, or B, based on their own life experience, not realizing that that experience is not the same as, you know, like, for example, my, my father's life. I admire him tremendously. Uh, you know, he's a Vietnam veteran. He put himself through college. He grew up in inner city Detroit. Like his, his parents were not around a lot. Um, you know, I, I love him dearly. I, I respect him tremendously. But at the same time, I think there's times where he makes assumptions about me that are more convenient for him to either A, believe, or B, uh, let him frame something in his own mind that he can get pissed off about. Because I think, I think outrage is addictive, and I think he kind of... I jokingly, I've never said this to him because I think it, would come off, it wouldn't come off well. Uh, but in this environment, I'll say it you know, jokingly because I do mean it as a jovial thing. Like I, In my mind, I jokingly think that he sometimes suffers from all angry white man syndrome. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a weird period of time right now um, because everything's so politicized. Trump's presidency didn't help. Uh, let me just say we dis- we generally disagree on on that issue, um, and um, it, you know it's 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 a thing where you see it's it, you have all these Mother's Day ads popping up now, which happens every year, and that doesn't normally like I've just kind of used to it. And it's kind of is you know is whatever. Uh, but in the current environment, it's, it's been on my mind a little bit. It's like, you know, uh, my mom's dead. That relationship was difficult, um, for a large number of reasons. Um, you know, I, I don't really have a, a relationship with, uh, my sister. I'm not ascribing any blame about that. Um, you know, and, um, for all the shit that I've been told over the years, I have never hung up the phone on my father. There's times where I wanted to, but I've never hung up the phone on my father because I knew that in my mind, that would be a bridge blown up. Like that would permanently alter or uh, damage that relationship. And in many cases, I I might be the only person that he really talks to. Um, You know, so the, the other day I set a boundary, said you cannot yell at me. That boundary got crossed. He decided to hang up the phone. Okay. Um, family's tough, man. Yeah. And I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a, I feel like I'm kind of the, the bit of the, the black sheep of the family in some ways. I guess in some ways I might be viewed as the fuck up, and that's fine. Um, 
in other ways, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to, to play victim. I don't see myself as one, um, you know, but I, I, I certainly think in some ways I'm a little bit persona non grata. Ironically, uh, my sister and I said we don't really, you know, converse much on a personal level. Ironically, we, I think we both very much align very similarly um, in a political standpoint. Like, I think she I think she self-identifies Democrat, which I don't. Um, but as far as personal value systems, as far as society goes, I, I really think we're, we are really much more in lockstep and in a line with each other, ironically, than, than what either one of us would be, uh, with our parents or more specifically our dad. My mom was really a non, she was Canadian and, and really did not like discussing divisive type subjects. So like some stuff going on today, I wouldn't, I honestly wouldn't be able to tell you what she thought of what she would have thought about it. Cause I don't know. Um, I don't know if my sister would have an opinion on that or not, but um, it, it's just funny that we've kind of both deviated in a similar fashion in that way. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of an island unto myself sometimes. I'm okay with that. Yeah, well, I mean, Dave, first of all, thanks for sharing. Uh, it's uh, some deep stuff. And it's some, it's some stuff that is needs to be said because so many people that listen to us out there i know for a fact and i'm this is not me assuming i know for a fact because they tell me that they're going through the same sort of emotional um landmines that they have to negotiate these these new uh, terms and conditions as they become adults with their parents and I mean, shit, I'm fucking goddamn less than five years away from 50 and I'm still doing it. I'm still doing it. And, you know, one of the greatest things that was said to me recently is, you know, you don't have to be a champion for your parents anymore. You, you don't. That, that time has come and gone. You got to look after yourself now because you've got people that fucking depend on you. You know, you're the one carrying the belt for the, for the fucking promotion now. You have to look after the next generation. And it's just one of those things, you know, where we have people that, yes, I know that you were talking about uh, political divide in families. I, we talked about it a little bit, actually, uh, in, a, in a previous episode. a few weeks ago, yeah. 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 Uh, but here, here's the thing is that we've got members of our listeners that I know for a fact are going through hard times with family members because of dementia that they've had to take on definitely a parental guardianship role over people that they idolized and that gave them the moral compass and took care of them. And now to see it reversed where you are literally the parent of this other family member. I mean, from everything from helping them with biological <laughs> things that are going incredibly on, incredibly hard, it, it's incredibly it, it, hard. getting them to and fro from their house, dealing with yelling and screaming in the middle of the night. Cause they don't know where they are. They don't recognize you. They're confused all the time. That's, that's one of our members out there. I can only imagine the hell that they go through or the anxiety yeah. or depression to live with it day in and day out. We got another one that's mom, uh, pretty much not there yet, but there's definitely some sort of dementia situation going on where there's no longer a grasp of reality. Uh, it is some, you know, they live away from their mother and at the same time, the mother went all the way down the Trump Q conspiracy bullshittery at the, and he, this person's not even around to help them, reeducate them, 
nothing, you know, sees people coming in and out of, of her life that weren't there, has theories that don't matter because, you know, Fox News or a YouTube channel told her to think this, um, this kind of thing. So not only, not only does your relationships change on a fundamental level of I'm protecting my values, my beliefs, and you can have yours, even though I love you because you're my mom and dad, you're talking about people's relationships changing because of physical medical issues that you have now had to assume the parental role, which is also extremely fucking difficult and an oh, ever changing family dynamic. And as we grow older and older and older, this is going to happen unless they come up with some fucking miracle cure. And Dr. Eddie Gizmo Gomez is going to have to tell me about it. We are going to have to deal with a lot more of these issues where our generation, once again, the X-Men, Generation X, are going to have to take care of the next generation who doesn't want to work and the last generation who's absolutely gone senile, batshit crazy. So here we are, X-Men. But I'm going to throw it back to you now, Dave. Well, uh, that's where, at least on a personal level, I've been extremely fortunate in the sense that, you know, knock on wood, that, um, you know... Thankfully, as you know, far as we know, my my dad still has his health, and um, you know, like my, my mom died young, but that was very much more self inflicted than anything else. Um, so that I'm I'm fortunate. What what actually does, on a side note, kind of concern me a little bit is you know because there's still a lot that they're learning about uh, dementia or chronic traumatic enthralopathy or you know. Um, pugilista dementia kind of thing and the fact that i know how to pronounce these terms should be an indicator that i've i've looked into some of them you know i couldn't tell you how many concussions i've had um i couldn't tell you you know like i mean what long-term effect the migraines may or may not end up having with you know chronic brain inflammation and all of that type of stuff that's something i'm more worried about on a personal level as i get older um but there's nothing that I can really do about it at this moment in time, except, you know, just, hey, <laughs> at this moment, I have as many of my faculties as I ever will. So, uh, you know, hope for the best and <laughs> take take shit one day at a time. Absolutely. Either you've researched it or you're a massive fight fan or both in your case. So, I mean, the thing is that I just want to throw it out there for for all of the, the listeners. I came up, I think we talked about maybe about a month ago. I said, you know, I'd like to explore this is just how bizarre the family relationships change as you get older due to the fact that you're a whole different person. I mean, you know, on a cellular level, we are different. We are completely remade every seven fucking years. There's not one cell in our bodies that's remained the same every seven fucking years, every single thing. Certain things regenerate quick, you know, very quick, like our, uh, the, the outs our skin, you know, but there's other things internally that it takes seven full years for, for a cell to, to be replicated, which is pretty much why we age. Okay. Uh, we're a poor Xerox of a poor Xerox of a poor Xerox combined with outside influences, you know, where think, think, think of the movie multiplicity. We are gradually becoming number five as time moves on. I think I'm already there, <laughs> but I just want to throw it out to you guys. I hope, I hope, I hope there's enough dozens out there that get that reference. If they're our age, they totally fucking get it. But, uh, I just want to let you guys know that you're not alone. We're all going through this shit together. We'd love to hear from you on this and, you know, stay strong. 
And, and the, the thing is that you have, there can't be so much guilt assigned to the fact that your parents disagree with your life choices or just disagree with your personality. I've had many times where I've realized the only mistake I ever made in somebody, you know, absolutely alienating me, betraying me or leaving me is my base personality. It's not fucking actions against the world. And there's a lot of us out there that, that find ourselves with family members that just either we can't stand, they can't stand us, or we have a hard time connecting in which we didn't when you were the subordinate and they were in control. And there's a, and I hate to say it, a lot of times it's just straight up a power structure that has changed and a life structure that's changed where you have more knowledge uh, in certain aspects than than your parents or your, your, your sisters, your brothers, other people, and you go down different life avenues. You live in different parts of the world. You do different things as a career. You do bizarre shit that no one thought you would do. And you have a different perspective. I remember living in New York for, you know, four fucking years in very, I think I was 18 to 22, something like that. And having a whole different viewpoint on the world and the world population, because I went to New York, they, other members of the family never experienced that at a young age. And that can be said about a lot of us, whether we went to war, we went to fucking Hollywood, about the same thing. And literally just looked at it as I got a different life experience than fucking you. So I know what I'm talking about as far as this fucking goes, okay? So any of you out there, honestly, that, that have gone through these issues, please feel free to contact us at our little known Barely working, but we still love them. Email address known as AskDaveAndJason at Excite.com. Because, well, god damn it, family's infuriating. There's one correction that I need to make very quickly that's vitally important. Um, it was four. Hey, that, in multiplicity. That's very, in multiplicity, yeah. It's number in four. Multiplicity, in multiplicity, it was number four. That was the real fucked up one. They never made it to five, thank God, because... Well, that would have been me. <laughs> that would, that would, maybe, maybe. That would have been where Jason Bailey came from. So before anyone who is a fan of multiplicity and Michael Keaton is awesome, uh, is. you know, yes, I, I thinking back, I do remember it was number four. That was the clone of two, and things <clears throat> just went to shit from there. Yep. But um, anyway, I just had to, had to get that off my chest, Jason. Absolutely. And uh, what would you like to get back on your chest now, sir? Uh, nothing. Let's go home. No, I'm kidding. Um, so I like Cindy Crawford po- about 1988 to be on my chest, quite frankly. I'll let you ruinate on that for a second. Oh my God. Ruinating. I'm ruinating. ruinating. So good. Okay. Let's here. no, no, no. Let's, let's move on. Let's move on. So a and E did a Roddy Piper documentary. We knew it was coming and it was everything. It was when I say this, I'm talking in terms of general quality. It was everything that I hoped it would be. I still have not watched the Steve Austin one. I will. I just haven't yet. It's not like I'm avoiding it. It's just I've been busy. Um, Randy Savage is next week, but we got to talk Roddy Piper, Jason, because why wouldn't we? The dozens would probably be very disappointed if we did not have this conversation. I don't want to go through the documentary. I don't want to do a play-by-play. I've heard some reviews do that, and I'm like, I already know what it fucking... You know, like, if you know, you know. If you don't, then watch the damn thing. Like, you don't need us for that. Like, uh, You can watch it on the A&E app. You can watch it on A&E.com. I, you can also... Purchase it off Amazon Prime, though you won't own it. <laughs> uh, that was something we were going to kind of talk about, and we didn't. Apple's facing a lawsuit because in their terms of service, they basically say when you buy a movie or show from them, you don't actually own it, and they have the right to pull it at any time from their service. Oh, and, so and they're facing a lawsuit. And they're letting all the, the courts know. And by the way, the, the no, per- one should the, expect no one should expect to own something that we say you can buy. Get the yeah. fuck out of here, you fuckheads. 
That is legitimately the legal argument, but I digress. Physical fucking media. Let's go. Back to Roddy Piper. So, um, fantastic documentary. Vince is a creep. If anybody who has seen the trailer for it knows where it opens with Vince making the Vince starts out with his cell phone and he, he thinks he's the funniest person on the face of the planet. And he takes a quote unquote phone call from Roddy where Roddy's calling him from hell. And the thing that is most striking about it is not the lame joke that Vince is trying to do. It's that look of self-satisfaction after Vince Hank quote unquote hangs up the phone and tosses the phone off camera to his assistant how incredibly proud and satisfied of himself that he looks because he surrounds himself with such sycophants at all hours of the day whose sole job is to tell him how brilliant he is that he fully expected that he had just blown the you know the doors off the A&E crew with his genius and how incredibly witty he is it was sad it was pathetic it was a weird way to start the documentary but it definitely gave you an interesting look at Vince McMahon. Uh, so things I liked about the documentary, the family footage, the the home video stuff, stuff they had hinted at th- with the, the trailers and, and stuff that they had released as part of their, uh, their publicity blitz, um, added so much to this. You know, um, Kitty, his wife, does not do a lot of interviews, um, really added a tremendous amount to this, as did his daughters, as did his son. The only one who was not interviewed was Roddy's oldest daughter, who really seems to avoid kind of public spotlight type scenario. She's participated in a documentary in the past, but it really is kind of few and far between. That seems to be a, a, a personal choice. Um, and, you know, not indicative of any kind of drama or anything there or anything. Um, so a few things that surprised me. The only thing in the documentary that was straight kayfabed was they still told the the false story that Roddy started in wrestling when he was 15 years old and that his first match was against Larry Hennig. It was interesting. It was Colt who told that story when he and his sister wrote the book that debunked that story and said he was 18 or 19 and the Hennig match didn't happen until a little bit later and it ran, I don't know, a minute and a half or something. I, If I had to guess, I would say that they might have thought that that story was kind of Roddy had told it so much and it embellished it so much that it was kind of integral to that narrative that maybe they decided to keep it intact. But I was surprised that A&E let that one, let that one slide through. Um, the rest of it seemed very straightforward. There were a couple little, you know, things here and there as far as timeline, when things happen in comparison to other things that solely for the purpose of getting the story told in, you know, two hours with commercials, you're going to see a little bit of fluffing of the timeline of when he went from, say from Georgia to the Atlantic territory or, you know, things like that, which I don't have qualms about. Um, I thought it was, it was really well done. Um, I know there's, I know there's a particular gripe that you have that I'll, I'll let you voice. Cause I think you'll do it better than I do. And then I, you know, I, you know, I don't think we both need to hit the same points over and over again. Um, but um, the family footage was invaluable. Ronda Rousey, I thought, was gr- one of my favorite moments in it was footage that I had never seen where Roddy's family went backstage at WrestleMania 35. And I hadn't realized that Kitty had never met Ronda before until that moment. I know Colt had. 
Um, I did not realize the rest of the family possibly had not. Um, so it was interesting and, and enthralling to, to see that moment. And it was very genuine. Um, you know, Roddy really adored her as far as Rhonda, Rhonda goes, uh, Roddy, you know, as far as some of the, the question marks regarding his childhood, some of that was still kept in the dark, but it was kind of expected that it would be, especially cause Roddy himself was always kind of obtuse about it purposely. Um, the one thing you and I were both surprised about, cause this one we did, you know, we're fans. We talked a little bit about beforehand, uh, text, texting back and forth. But one thing you and I were both surprised about, they did not address the car accident where he was nearly murdered. He was nearly killed, uh, in 2002. Um, and that really took an effect on his health physically. We also agree it took an effect on his health mentally. They talk about that being a dark period of time for him, but they never go into that. And that was such a major part of, his narrative and his life at that time, that that surprised me quite a bit. But overall, I thought it was amazing. I couldn't recommend it enough. Jason, your thoughts? Well, the the great thing is that we did get, and I was going to save it till now because there was no point in bringing it up at the beginning. We got a great deal of feedback from the Roddy Piper A&E documentary. And I, I tell you, Dave, our dozens out there are beautiful and they're just great people. And we've educated so many non-wrestling fans on wrestling over the uh, last year and a half. And they specifically know, our dozens know that we are, as you called it off air last week, the Roddy Piper Historical Preservation Society. That if Roddy Piper is anything, he is our spirit animal for this podcast. Um, it is really, honestly, the I think almost the, the backbone basis for Dave and I's beginning of our relationship, which we didn't even know. Roddy is such a big part of my life and his life even before we knew each other, even before we knew Roddy Piper in a, in well, a, that's why one Cody wanted us to meet one reason. Right. Is that when I was a kid, he was my inspiration. I know he was a huge inspiration to Dave at a certain point, but in 1984, 85, 86, um, if I could grow up to be someone, I wanted to be Roddy Piper and I'm not talking the Roddy that came later. I mean, the fat bully asshole Roddy Piper that was going crazy on MTV and all that shit. I fucking love Roddy Piper. And it was just by happenstance that later on he became a face. He was so good at what he did, he became a face. And then when he had his WCW Dark Knight Returns years, it was the icing on the fucking cake, okay? So it really, Roddy Piper means a lot to me uh, on a very personal basis, on a very personal level. And I know the same thing with Dave. And a lot of you guys, what's odd about it is we must talk a lot of Roddy because you guys know this too. And a lot of people out there got that fucking A&E free streaming bullshit app just to watch this documentary because of this fucking podcast. So thank you very much. Uh, it means the world that Roddy's memory is still out there and that you guys are still learning about him. And it was a fantastic documentary, particularly for people who only knew a little bit about Roddy, knew that we liked him or you guys loved him, but didn't know much about his life. Thought it was great. Thought it was absolutely wonderful for that purpose. Good footage. It was well-produced. It was slick. It would, they had the family on there and the fact that, you know, <laughs> LaBelle was great. Oh, Gene, uncle Gene's on there. Gene LaBelle. Uh, and what 89, 90, I don't even know, but he was fantastic. Always is. That man Gene. will outlive us all. Uh, evil keeps him alive. And the thing is that, you know, we got Kitty and Ariel and Colt on there and they're such a 
there are, you know, Roddy and Kitty. Fallon as well. As Fallon's there. Roddy and Kitty did a wonderful achievement in their lives by actually raising a great family. They really created a wonderful family. And this show is about family. And like every family, they have trials, tribulations, ups and downs. But being in the industry that Roddy is fucking in and being the human being that he is and being the personality in pop culture that he is, the fact that he was married to one woman his entire life and had, what, six kids? Four. Or whatever, and literally raised them to be good people and that they love each other, at least the visual... I just want to hats off hats fucking off to that man, because it is the, it's the, it's the, the tombs family that really makes that fucking documentary. It really does. It's, it's not Vince. It's not, it's them. They could have literally just sat around a house talking about Roddy and shown VHS tapes and it would have been a fantastic documentary. But <clears throat> the good stuff is the family's in there. Some of their footage is in there. Their insights are in there, which they've never done, to my knowledge. Certainly not to the level they did for A&E. Um, you got Ronda Rousey in there talking about what he meant to him. You got uh, Judo Jean LaBelle in there talking about his memories. And they had a lot of great footage, and it was a lot of uh, reverence towards uh, the greatest heel that ever existed in, in the business. And like you know, Bret Hart has said before, who is also f- wonderful and, and supportive in the documentary, he says all the time, like, there's actors, and then there's Robin Williams. He goes, there's wrestlers, and then there's Roddy Piper. He goes, that's what he was to us. His talent, you couldn't quantify his talent. It was, he was someone that could have done anything, but he decided to wrestle, you know? And um, this documentary gives you a great, great uh, example of how wonderful and how talented Roddy Piper was. The drawbacks, in my opinion, way too much WWE. And by WWE, I mean Vince McMahon and Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan's still in there talking about how much money Piper could have made if he had just lost to him, which I totally don't fucking agree with at goddamn all. I loved all. Kitty rebutting it, though. I yeah. loved Kitty rebutting it. And Kitty's saying, no, you know, Ruddy knew his worth. He knew exactly what would happen to him instead of just being another heel that was fucking fed to Hulk Hogan, the Hulk Hogan machine. He knew his own worth and what his character and himself meant to that company and to the wrestling industry as a whole. So fuck you, Hulk Hogan. Fuck you and suck a dick. And then you got Vince McMahon on the HBO interview that Piper did in these supposed dark years, which in my 2003. Opinion, yeah, which in my opinion, Piper's dark years was 2002 on. Until he died. There was ups and downs and things that he achieved and things he didn't. But he was in some dark years towards the end of his life because he just wasn't kicking ass anymore. He was in a lot of pain. And I'll talk about something that car wreck a little bit later. But Vince literally going, well, we had to part ways. You know, that's just what you do. You're t- what are you saying about our company? He's saying the fucking truth, fuck bag. What you should have said on this documentary is, I understood where he was coming from. We didn't agree, but I understood. And shut the fuck up, dude. Shut the fuck up. I hate the fact that Hulk Hogan is sitting there going, I talked to him years later, you know, when we became friends. And I said, you could have made so much money had you just lost to me. He's like, God damn it, I wish I would have listened to you. How the fuck did we know that conversation even fucking happened? Fuck both oh, of didn't. you. Fuck it didn't. You goddamn carnies. Sit the fuck I'll down. Say, can I say one thing about Hulk real quick? I have never forgotten. I think it was in the WWE Rivalries episode um, on, well, it was on WWE Network. I guess if you're in the U.S., it's probably maybe still on Peacock. 
I guess. But there's the the Hogan Piper one was really well done. It's I it's probably the thing I've watched the most like con- multiple times off of the network and its you know forms. But um, I have never forgotten Hogan talking about Roddy and WrestleMania, saying straight up. I don't think that Roddy deserves the credit that I get or that Vince Vince gets. He was a player, but we had many players. I was like, fuck you. In this case, and I think it was because it was most convenient for him because it got him on camera, but I do appreciate, regardless of how truthful it is to his heart, that at least in this instance, he acknowledged the role, the size of the role that Roddy played in getting them to that point, which he had never done previously. My issue is, I think that he just says whatever the camera wants him to say, so he gets his fucking sure. face out there. Um, sure. I have documentaries on that old-fashioned media called DVD, where he straight up, there's it's a DVD called, uh, called uh, Hulk Still Rules. On this yeah, DVD... He says, exact, I know the exact interview you talked about. He goes, I don't think Piper played that big of a role. Like, Shut the fuck. Suck a dick. Go suck a dick. And the thing is that I almost think that Hulk Hogan and forgive me, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock are saying nice things about people in these documentaries because it was the only way to get the fuck on. The best thing about these A&E documentaries. Is, I don't think Rock gives a shit. I, he doesn't need it. The best thing about these A&E documentaries, in my opinion, is the, the lineup they chose and whoever chose the human beings they're doing these on kudos kudos in infinite kudos they're exactly the right people that that should have these documentaries done for the next eight weeks and what's even more interesting is how many people are reaching out to us how many youtube videos are being made how many reviews and retrospectives and talking about these wrestlers are happening again that honestly only you and i have been talking about on this podcast for quite some time are now back in vogue in an A&E documentary series. And it's awesome because for our listeners out there, Bret Hart's coming up. Macho Man Randy Savage is coming up. All these people, are Mick Foley's coming up. And we've already talked about him and primed you for these great fucking documentaries. But back to the Roddy one is, is yeah, the kayfabe was kept at a bare minimum. Uh, I think it was very reverential. I think that they did give him a lot of respect as much as, you know, what was allowed through Vince and fucking his fucking take on it. Uh, that picture of his hip all bruised oh, up. Wow. And the thing with WCW, when they were using that as a fucking spot and his family coming out saying, yeah, that's when I hated Hulk Hogan. They never said that they changed their fucking mind. Well, you shouldn't. And here's the deal is I, I'm just going to say this real quick because I know we got to go uh, is that they don't cover the car wreck that happened in 2002. This is around about the same time uh, that Dave and I first, I think, saw Roddy, or at least first saw each other, okay? I'll say specifically, the car wreck happened in January of 2002, where Highland and the 101 meet up. Yeah. Um, and then we met Roddy November. in November of that yeah. year. And he was wearing, like a, he had like a flak jacket on under his coat, yeah. like that was kind of holding his ribs in. He, and he was he was really, and he and I joked about it a couple you know, years later when I saw him again, and, and he he asked about that. He's like, what what did I say at the time? Because he's like, that was, that was a rough period. I was like, well, well, you had just started throwing punches in the pool as part of your rehab. He's like, yeah. He's like, I was, I was rolling hard, man. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that 2002 and 2003 are bad fucking years. I don't really think he ever recovered from them. And the thing is that that car wreck was so terrible that all broke his back, all through, punctured his liver, all through 2003, all through 2003. When he was back in the spotlight in WWE, he was recovering from internal injuries that entire 
fucking year. The year that, you know, he's back on a Piper's pit and Vince made fun of him for Piper's paunch, that he was fat, you know, all that shit that he took advantage of him on his own fucking show, uh, that he tried to kill Roddy Piper. Um, didn't work. Didn't fucking work, asshole, did <laughs> Roddy's it? response was epic, but anyway. That's yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. The the only thing that ever worked out for you is the is the business your dad gave you, Junior. And the thing is that um, Piper can, continued on. He was then diagnosed with cancer later on, and yeah, had, they didn't talk about didn't that. Talk about I that. thought that might have been just time. But. No, and and the thing is that yeah, he used. I think that he used liberally uh, at a lot of um, taped independent circuit shows he was you know smoking weed said he was on weed he oh, yeah. he liked his alcohol i think he was taking a lot of shit to just calm and numb the fucking pain both physically and mentally but that car wreck definitely took a toll you can almost see a pre-car wreck and a post-car wreck both physically but i think even more importantly mentally he slowed down i could definitely see a difference between roddy piper if you watch him in piper's pits and let's say i don't know 2005 Versus any promo he gave in, let's say, 1998. Two different Roddy Pipers. You could see a nugget of what he's doing there. And he's still got the moxie to, to go up there and be Roddy Piper. But even Chris Jericho said that, and this is Chris Jericho saying, he had already started to get a reputation for not being able to really have a coherency to a lot of his promo work. We were told that he had to rely on the wrestlers themselves, which is why they would give him somebody sometimes that was good on the mic to do the dance with at Piper's Pit. And he goes, when I went up there and we did that Legends match where it was me versus him, Ricky Steamboat, Jimmy Snuka, he goes, I can tell you that Piper did a great job in that Piper's Pit saying you will never take our legacy away from us. He goes, in my opinion, it was his last great Piper's Pit. And that was Chris Jericho saying that... Uh, I think right after his death, he says, like, it was the one moment where you realize this motherfucker's a genius. Like, he he totally stole the show with his speech at Piper's Pit, where he's like, you, you simply can't take those years away from us, no matter what you do in the ring. And it was Roddy Piper being Roddy Piper again, just knocking it out of the fucking ballpark in a completely different way. A couple things quickly. For those that don't know about the car wreck, very simply, someone, uh, and we'll spare the details just because it's it's complicated, folks, but, like, Somebody tried to commit suicide with Roddy in the car. Roddy was on the passenger side of the vehicle. They drove purposely into oncoming traffic, and the, the car Roddy was in got hit by two oncoming SUVs, and that, that he was clinically dead for several minutes. Um, and he actually he told me details of that in person on the, the time when I first met him. Um, and um, unfortunately, the person who was responsible survived and you know, as far as I know, is still out there somewhere. That, still that a piece person, of shit. That person got interviewed after Roddy died and gave a statement like he was some close personal friend and blah, 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 blah. Like, I was enraged reading it. I can't imagine what his fucking, what Roddy's family were feeling at that moment yeah. in time. I forget what news outlet it was. But anyway, separate subject. Two very quick things that we got to go because we are way over time now. But um, two things that surprised me about the, the ending. I had always heard that Roddy had passed away in Hollywood. He had an apartment there because he spent so much time in L.A. Um, so that that in of itself wouldn't be surprising. However, Kitty specifically stated and really emphasized it that he had died at home and that she was with him at the time that he passed because he died in his sleep, which would suggest that he was in Oregon 
or she was in L.A. with him at the the Hollywood apartment, but she specifically said at home, which was su- suggested the ranch in Oregon. That shocked me because I'd always heard his body had been in found in the the apartment in Hollywood. I'm not sure how to reconcile that. I certainly don't think Kitty's being dishonest. Um, you know, I just yeah, I'm but not you're sure right. The, re- the the reports that came out at the time was he was in Hollywood. Yeah. But he had an apartment there, and you know maybe Kitty was with him, and then I didn't, and thought that of that as their second home. I don't know. I, but that that was I'm a little confused about that. Um, but again, her genuineness of emotion there in that moment about how happy she was that he wasn't alone when he died. Like, oh, I, that, that God, got man, me so. That, I mean, I yeah. was tearing up. I just couldn't. I had to look away from the TV because I mean, you know, when you talk about Roddy Piper, for me and for you and me. I, you know, he, I know it sounds weird, but he is family. I mean, he is family. And, and just to sit there and, and, and see her start tearing up. I had to look away from the TV because it's like, you know, very obviously this, this meant something to her and, and she's held on to this memory and, you know, just, just bless her for being able to get through these interviews as somebody larger than life that they, she loved her entire life still does, you know? Yeah, so I highly recommend people watch it. And um, so those are the two things. I was surprised it didn't cover the car accident, and I was a little confused about where he was at the time that he passed. Yeah. Um, but those are, you know, again, the, the car accident thing is a little more curious. The the Not mentioning Hodgkin's lymphoma, I think, was strictly a time issue. Um, but uh, Well, it's kind of a big kind of thing. thing. I honestly... Yes, I, I also- but... <laughs> I, you but, know, but if you had to pick the car accident or Hodgkin's lymphoma and you could only cover one, which one would you cover? I'd cover, you know what I think it is? If I was a producer, because I think Hollywood, I think filmmaking, I would have covered tangentially. I would have just sprinkled a little bit because I think the reason they didn't cover the car wreck is legal. I think legally they didn't cover it because there's too much up in the air as to how that happened, why it happened. There's too much said about that fucking car wreck. And you can look it up just online. Just footage of Roddy talking about uh, That's true. It, but. but still, I think they did. It was too hot to touch because the dude's still out there, this reality star scumbag motherfucker. And he says a story that's totally different and didn't want to deal with it legally. Uh, cancer, I think that it should have been covered because WWE's just insurance physicians are the one that discovered that on an overseas trip to Scotland. Oh, yeah. And I right. think that should have been covered. Anyway, notwithstanding all that nitpicking, all you guys out there, you need to go watch this. And by the way, that A&E free streaming thing, get it on your Roku, get it on your device, because even though they air these on Sunday night, the next motherfucking morning, the next Monday morning, you can watch it for free. And it's great. It's great. And Savage is next, which is oh, the one oh, I'm, oh. outside of Roddy was the one I'm most excited. Yeah, about. Absolutely. All right. Uh, any further thoughts, Mr. Bailey? Because we are, <laughs> this is a supersized episode. Well, we dealt with some big issues, man. And I just want to throw it out there. Thank you guys for listening. I know that, I, you know, I'm self-defense shaming you sometimes, but uh, hey, fuck it. Uh, but I just want to say thank you very much, Paris. And thank you very much, all of our dozens out there. We appreciate having each and every one of you. And uh, we will be talking to you next week. And what Roddy would always say is, may you be a half hour in heaven before the devil knows you're dead. And he didn't invent that, but that was a phrase that he very much liked. But on that note, I am Dave Beaudry. And I am still your Jason Bailey. And we are one day closer to dead, but that day is hopefully not and will not be today. So until next week, folks. Ooh, yeah.